0: Genesis chapter 17, let's stand for the reading of God's word, Isaac. (laughs) Genesis chapter 17, we are going to be reading verses 9 through 14. This is the word of the Lord, please give it your full attention. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is 8 days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house uh, or bought who is bought with money from any foreigner, who is not of your descendants a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant let's pray our gracious god and father we thank you for this uh, your word And we do pray that as we consider your word this morning, that you would give aid to our ears, to our hearts, and to our minds, that you would accompany us, Lord, and that your spirit would give understanding to our minds, would give belief to our hearts, listening to our ears, and intent leaning into your word this morning. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, brothers and sisters. When we last gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered... The sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which is circumcision. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which is circumcision. We first gave a very brief background of circumcision in the Old Testament and then considered what circumcision actually signified. I'm going to take my time in some of these parts. So uh, we will recap. What the sign of circumcision signified in our first point this morning. So uh, we'll save that part of the recap for that point. In our third point, we asked, what does circumcision point us forward to? Remember that? What was circumcision a type of? Remember, a type is a person, place, thing, event that points to a future person, place, thing, event. The future is always greater than the former. So what did the former circumcision point to in the future? What is its antitype? The fulfillment of circumcision. Circumcision, we learned, pointed to the new covenant, wherein the Holy Spirit would take the heart of stone and give to his people a heart of flesh. That is, circumcision of the flesh pointed to circumcision of the Heart. That is its antitype. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter thirty, verse six, as we considered last week, uh, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. How is one given a new heart? God commands, circumcise your heart in Deuteronomy chapter six, I think. And the question is, how do I looking down at your heart, how do I do that? How do I circumcise, cut my own heart? And God was not speaking to an actual open up your heart and then give it a cut. God was speaking to, pointing toward regeneration. That is being sensitive to the commands of God. How is one sensitive to the commands of God unless God changes their heart? This, brothers and sisters, we learned last week is circumcision of the hearts. We, they, could not do this. This circumcision can only be of the heart. Could only be performed by the great physician, the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says, "I, God, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will, God, will remove from your, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh." Uh, I said last week, and I think it's important to say it again. Why do we know individuals who claim that they love God and yet will not obey even the simplest of God's commands? Here's a simple one. Go to church. Because their hearts have not been circumcised. Or, Or I want to go to church, but I only want to go to a church that caters to the things that I like. That's not circumcision of the heart. That's a piccadilly. For those of you who are old like me, well, what, that, that is our, our, our new day called a, a, a buffet. That's a buffet. Any of you guys remember it's Never mind. Uh, that's a buffet where you go and you pick what you like, but this is not a buffet. And God has not commanded us to worship him as we do a grocery store or go into a grocery store, pick the things that we like, and then go out. God has commanded us to worship him how, as he has prescribed in his word. And we don't have the right to alter that. We should, as a church, say, how can I become more and more biblical? Not less and less biblical. How can I obey more and more what God has commanded? Not say, I like that, I don't like that. Well, I'll take a little bit of that, but not too much. Easy on that. No. What God has commanded, we must obey. And circumcision, I don't know where I went off of that. Circumcision was a type of circumcision of the heart. And this was the promise of the new covenant. Now then, uh, there must have been, I I think for some of us, there must have been an assumption before we began that sermon as, as this. When I asked the question, what is circumcision a type of in the New Testament at least a few of us might have said, well, if circumcision given to infants in the old covenant of Abraham, well, then the new covenant must be pointing to something given to infants. Some of you might have assumed that it was baptism. Because I did hear a few, a few of you say baptism. Did circumcision of the Old Testament... Or, Is there any relationship between circumcision of the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament? Were any of you baptized as infants? Yeah. Actually, we even know people who, when you ask them, are you a believer? And they say, well, I was baptized as a baby, but I haven't been to church in years. What does that mean? What does it mean when someone says, well, I was baptized as a baby, but I haven't been to church in years. Are they saying, well, I am kind of saved. I just haven't been practicing it for a long time. Is that what they're saying? You should ask them next time. What do you mean by that? Because we often, we, how many of us know people who say, or even you, who say, I was baptized as an infant? Yes. Is there any significance to being baptized as an infant? Or let's continue with what we're saying. Is there any connection between circumcision and baptism? Today, with the Lord's help, it is our task to answer that question circumcision baptism any relation question mark number one we have three points this morning number one and i've got so much to say that it may come out really fast lord help me to just take my time number one a brief review of the covenant sign of circumcision here's our brief review okay this is very very important now now We may, uh, we are seeking to answer the question, is there any relationship between circumcision and baptism? I think it's fair to begin by asking this, why are we even asking? I think it's fair to begin before we even ask, is there a relationship between the two? We should ask, why are we even asking? Or what's the point? We are we are are sitting here this morning and there may be some of us who are saying there are people who are dying and going to hell. And we're sitting here talking about a relationship between circumcision and baptism. I say to those people. You are not as concerned about people dying and go to going to hell as you think. Because if you were actually concerned about people dying and going to hell, then you would be at every single hungry and homeless and throughout the week, you would be sharing the gospel with as many people as you ran into. So don't give me. Why are we talking about this? Especially for a pers- from a person who says that there are people who are dying and going to hell. We are dealing with this because this is God's word. And we are dealing with this because answering this question or the answer to this question touches our soteriology, how one is saved, our polity. The church government and how it is ran, our our eschatology, the end times. This touches so many subjects. Our covenant theology does. It touches so many subjects, more than what we know. We are asking the question and seeking to find the answer because we believe the Bible is clear on its teaching and command of, listen, who should be baptized? That's what we're saying. The Bible is clear on its command of who the recipients of baptism should be. We are asking the question and seeking to find the answer because it touches the very heart of the gospel. Who the members of the body of Christ truly are. Who is really the church? This is not simply a question that we dismiss as if it were unimportant or unnecessary. There are some are going to say, does it really matter? It does matter. It really does matter. The scriptures make the subject that we are talking about today a very, very big deal. So then we must give this topic our full attention. Now then, let us briefly consider once again the subject of circumcision. And we'd like to do that by asking three questions under this uh, number one point of review. All right? Here's the three questions. What did it, circumcision, signify? Who was to receive it? And what were the benefits or blessings given to those who received circumcision? These are going to be brief, but they are important. Now, remember, the overarching question is, is there a connection between baptism and circumcision? So, they're going to be brief, because I think I dealt with this pretty well last week. Number number uh, 1A sub-point. Here it is. What did circumcision signify? If someone were to ask you, what does circumcision or what did it signify in the Old Testament? What would be your answer? What's your answer? What does it signify? What, what is the significance of circumcision? Well, the Lord commanded Abraham to perform a certain task in order to fulfill his part of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember that? There's two parts. God has a part and Abraham has a part. Abraham's part was to walk before God and be blameless. And also to be circumcised and to circumcise all those in his household. For Abraham, obeying this command signified that because of his obedience, he would receive the rewards that God promised in this covenant. Remember, each time a covenant is made, there are promises of blessing because of obedience and promises of curse for disobedience. If you obey, here's your reward. If you disobey, here's the curse or the punishment. This covenant that God made with Abraham was not a covenant of grace. What does that mean? It means God is not saying, here's the blessings, you don't need to do anything. It was not that kind of covenant. There was something required of Abraham. Therefore, this was a covenant of what work so then what were the promises of the covenant genesis chapter 17 turn there we're going to be turning a lot in our scripture today genesis 17 uh, verse 2 i will establish my covenant between me and you <clears throat> here's a promise i will multiply you exceedingly so god has has said to abraham you will have children as numerous as the stars in the sky As numerous as the sand of the earth, basically. And God is saying that He would bless Abraham with offspring and that offspring would multiply into multitudes. It's a promise. Listen, it is a physical promise and there is something spiritual mingled in there, which we'll get to. What's the other promise? Verse four. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse six. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all of the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God also promised that he would give Abraham the land of Canaan if he obeyed. There was a promise of nation, people, nation that would come from a seed, and there was a promise of land if Abraham obeyed. Abraham was to, again, walk before God, be blameless, and then circumcise him and his offspring, which signified that they would, he would be blessed with the offspring and blessed with the land. Got it? What did it signify? It signified to Abraham that God would give to him a promise of nation and land. This was first and only promise to Abraham in the act of circumcision because of abraham's obedience those who would come after him would reap the physical blessings physical benefits they would reap benefit from abraham's obedience but this was because god covenanted with abraham does that make sense circumcision signified abraham's obedience to the covenant that god made with him and it signified that he, Abraham, would receive the rewards of the covenant because of his obedience. This was first and foremost to Abraham. Now then, there's another promise contained within the Abrahamic covenant. We'll get to that in a moment. We learn that circumcision was the sign of the covenant made between God and Abraham. God covenanted with Abraham to give him a nation that would come forth from his flesh. From his flesh would come a seed, Right? That is, that he would bear a son, and from that son would develop a great nation. God also promised land would be given to to Abraham, and that nation would inherit that land. This was the physical promise. This is important. Physical promise that God gave to Abraham. If Abraham would walk before him, be blameless, circumcise himself, and those who were in his house, and later, offer up his child as an offering. This is in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham obeyed the Lord and the sign this sign of the covenant was administered to Abraham and to all who were in his house from that point forward now sign right the sign was significant only to who Abraham was the sign significant to all of Abraham's kids and offspring and those who were in his house who were uh, who would who were circumcised Was this sign of the covenant between God and Abraham, was it significant to anybody else other than Abraham? No. Why? As a result of Abraham's obedience, God kept his part of the covenant and gave to Abraham what Abraham earned through his obedience. That is, become a great nation and have the land of Canaan. Abraham did not receive salvation because of his circumcision why how can we say that because he was saved before circumcision god circumcised his heart long before his flesh was ever circumcised abraham believed god genesis chapter 15 and it was accredited to him as righteousness but abraham believed god long before genesis 15 why is that because god told him to leave his country And commanded him to go with promises. And did Abraham stay in his country? Say, no, no thanks. Or did he go? He went. Why did he go? Because he believed. How did he believe? His heart was circumcised. His heart had been given. He had been given a new heart. Right? There was yet another promise to Abraham. That was, here's the spiritual side. From his flesh would come a seed that would bless the nations. He is the physical offspring of Abraham but his existence is without beginning the seed that god promised would come from the loins of abraham he is the eternal son of god who would take on flesh redeem man from his sin and misery brought through disobedience to god who is that seed he is the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent genesis 3:15 abraham believed the lord that promised gospel that that seed would come that he would crush the head of the serpent And because of his belief, righteousness was credited to Abraham. The sign of circumcision was a sign that Abraham believed the Lord. But Abraham believed the Lord long before he was ever circumcised. Listen, but it was not a sign to the one whom was circumcised that they believed the Lord. It was a sign that they were of the house of Abraham. Listen, and no more. That's it. Abraham's circumcision had a dual meaning. Two sides. Just as the promise, just as the promise to Abraham was twofold. Abraham was promised a seed. Both physical, but only one pointed to an eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Abraham was promised a land. One was temporal, the land of Canaan. The other one was eternal, whose builder and maker is God. Heaven. And when Abraham was circumcised, it represented that he was obedient to the commands of God in this particular covenant of works that God made with Abraham. And it represented that Abraham's heart was circumcised. Therefore, he believed the Lord. The point going forward, this point going forward is going to be vital for you to understand. Is there a relationship between baptism and circumcision? All right, Uh, sub point B, very short one now. Who was to receive circumcision? This is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. Very clear. According to the commands of God, Abraham and every male who was eight days old and a servant born in his house or bought from an outsider, those living in the house of Abraham were to be circumcised. Who was to be circumcised? All males in Abraham's house. And by being circumcised, they identified themselves as a Hebrew, or as one of the people of Abraham. Right? This mark or sign was to signify to the one circumcised that they were a part of Abraham's house. Does it signify that they were saved? No. Does it signify that God will give to them who were circumcised a nation, uh, give to them a seed, all the promises? No. Only to Abraham. Those who did not receive this sign, though were cut off from the house of Abraham. Now, Abraham, as leader of what will become the Hebrew nation, worshipped Yahweh, the one true God. Abraham worshipped God. And as an act of his obedience to the covenant, Abraham circumcised all males and passed on this command to all males of the household to be circumcised. But it doesn't mean that they worshipped Yahweh. It means that they were circumcised. For someone to truly worship Yahweh, they must be circumcised in their heart, not in their flesh. You with me? Let's go to our third point, sub-point. What did those who were circumcised receive because of their circumcision? This could be a very, very simple answer. What did those who were circumcised receive because they were circumcised? Nothing. Now, if there were a a a practicing Judy, Judea, uh, uh, Jew who practiced Judaism in here, uh, I might be rust at this moment. Those who were circumcised did not receive anything as a result of their circumcision. This is made clear in the New Testament. The blessings belong to Abraham. Abraham received the promise of becoming a great nation and of the land. Each person who was circumcised... I'm going too fast. Each person who was circumcised in the flesh did not receive their own individual land. Each person who was circumcised did not receive their own individual nation. It wasn't as if, hey, you're circumcised. Now from you is going to come a great land and nation. Hey, you're circumcised. Now from you is going to come a great land and nation. Not so. It's to one man, Abraham. And from you will come a great nation and you will be given this great land. Those who are circumcised are identifying themselves as being with you, and they partake in your blessing. But it's your blessing, Abraham. That's important. They benefited from the obedience of Abraham in the covenant. Now, later in the book of Exodus, circumcision would become a—here's a, a, a important word—a positive law, meaning It's not a law written on the heart. It's a law that God added to his law and the people must obey that they were to be circumcised as a part of the law, as a part of the old covenant established with Moses. Those who were circumcised displayed by their circumcision, that they were of the house of Abraham, that they were Hebrews. But it did not signify salvation or that God would bless them or give them any of the covenant blessings because they were circumcised. Now, why would God, we asked this question last week, why would God command everyone to be circumcised if they were not to receive anything? As we said last week, because it was the mark God selected to distinguish Israel from all the other nations. This was the mark that God chose to distinguish this nation from all the other nations. Second, because it served as a continual reminder to the stock of Abraham, to those of Abraham's line, that from them a promised seed would come, from the nation of Israel, the Messiah would come. That was the promise. And third, because of what it typically foreshadowed. That is, to be born naturally of Abraham's line, of Abraham's stock, it gave a title to circumcision. And the earthly inheritance that God promised to Abraham and those born of Abraham's house would would receive or reap the benefits of Abraham's obedience. As we stated at the beginning, it is important that we understand there are two things being promised to Abraham. There was an earthly promise... And there is a spiritual promise. Are you with me? They There are physical offspring of Abraham. And there are spiritual offspring of Abraham. The physical offspring are those who are simply circumcised. The spiritual offspring are those who believe like Abraham believed. He becomes the father of those who have faith. Because Abraham is the example of having faith without work. Now were there, were there those who had faith without work prior to Abraham? Yes. But the scriptures uphold Abraham as the great example of that. Because of circumcision included in that covenant. The Lord promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That from him would come a seed that would bless the nations. We learn that this is again. Son of God incarnate. The Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed the Lord. And righteousness of Christ was accredited to Abraham by faith. Abraham then became the father or example of what has always been true. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So then, Abraham was not given faith because he earned it. Make sense? It was not through obedience that Abraham was given faith. Abraham was given faith by grace. The grace of God before the covenant of circumcision. Therefore, circumcision did not save Abraham. And he did not receive salvation because of his circumcision. Brothers and sisters, this is true for everyone after him who was circumcised. Got that? For everyone born after Abraham, circumcision did not save them. This is big because Jesus continually pointed this out to the Jews who always argued, we are Abraham's children, right? They were always saying, we are Abraham's children. Why were they saying they were Abraham's children? Because they had the sign. We have the sign. And because they had the sign, they believed that they had access to both physical and spiritual promises from God because of circumcision. They say, we have the sign. Therefore, we're entitled to anything God wants to give to us. Or everything that God gave to Abraham is ours. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It only belonged to Abraham. And if you want to be Abraham's child, you got to do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He says, Abraham believed me. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. Abraham believed me. Therefore, your circumcision is null and void. It doesn't mean anything. Unless you believe in me, and if you believe in me, then you're Abraham's children. This is why Paul says, not all Israel is true Israel. Not all of Abraham's children are really Abraham's children. Because there is a more important promise, a spiritual promise, that the Bible is saying, it trumps the physical promise. So. Let's move on. Are we, are we all together? <clears throat> okay. Let me make sure that I'm not moving on too quickly. Yeah, I think we've dealt with all that. We're going to beat a dead horse if I go through all that. Now, our point that we're trying to make today, the overarching point is, is there a connection between circumcision and baptism? We've heard everything that circumcision signifies, who it belongs to, and what the benefits are, the blessings are, right? Contrast that with now our next point, Number two, here's our second point, the sign of baptism. The sign of baptism. So we've taken circumcision, here it is. Now let's put it up and against, uh, baptism. Uh, how many of you have been baptized? Great. Brothers and sisters, what is it? You got that ready, Brother Anthony? What, what is it? What is baptism? Hmm. What does it signify? Who should receive it? And what promised blessings does the one who receive. Baptism. What what do they get as a result of their baptism? You may be asking again. Why are we asking this question? That's a fair question. We're asking the question because. Those who are baptized. No, because there are those who baptize their children. They're infants. And they do so because they believe there is a direct link between circumcision and baptism. Or they say that baptism is the circumcision of the New Testament. And that it should be administered to our infants. The infants of believing parents. They believe that circumcision of the Old Testament was the type of baptism in the New Testament. Or that baptism fulfills circumcision. Now we've already learned That circumcision is fulfilled by something completely different, right? By circumcision of the heart. We've learned that the New Testament fulfillment of circumcision was circumcision of the flesh, not baptism. So then, as we seek to answer these questions, I would like to ask you to see if if, if there's any similarity between circumcision and baptism. We're comparing the two. So let's ask our three questions again. What is baptism and what does it signify? Um, You may not have a confession, our confession with you, but I'd like to put it up here on the screen and show you, according to our confession, what baptism is, especially in the first two paragraphs. Brother, could you go to the single parts? According to our confession, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ. "...to be unto the party baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him, in his death and resurrection, of being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God, through Jesus Christ, to live and to walk in newness of life." Second paragraph, "...those who do actually profess repentance and faith," this is uh, to who, "...toward God, faith in, and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, are the only proper subjects of this ordinance." Um, let's move on to the paragraph three, the outward element to be used in this ordinance is water, wherein the parties be baptized in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit immersion that is uh, completely being immersed in water or dipping of the person in water is necessary do uh, is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. So according to our confession, that is what baptism, there we go. That is the definition of baptism. Uh, Who is to be baptized? Notice first that the definition of baptism is that it is an ordinance of the New Testament. And the giver of this ordinance, the person who gives to us baptism, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we baptize? Because Christ commands it. The Lord Jesus Christ was baptized in Luke chapter 3 and commands baptism in Matthew chapter 28 And also Mark 16 baptism comes to the church by way of Christ, his lordship and his commands. Our confession also describes the Bible's teaching on what baptism is and what it represents. We see here that the Bible teaches that baptism signifies that the one who has been baptized, that they have been brought into fellowship with Christ. See that? Baptism signifies that when you are baptized, you are brought, you have been brought into fellowship with Christ. This fellowship is a result of saving faith. The person who has been baptized is displaying publicly through their baptism that they have been united to Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection by faith. In his completed work. You hear those very important words. Those who were once far off, have been reconciled to God through the mediating work of Christ. Baptism signifies that they have been grafted into Christ, meaning uh, they have been joined into Christ. They've been brought into this great tree. Baptism signified that we have repented of our sins. We have committed to die to our old men, to live and to walk in newness of life, obedient to the law of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, now actively working in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, you should often be reminded of your baptism. You should be reminded you have been baptized. You have been united to Christ. This is what your baptism signifies. You didn't just get wet. You've been united to Christ. Brothers and sisters, Baptism reflects an intimate and salvific union between the one baptized and the Lord Jesus Christ. Which begs the question, sub point two, who should receive the sign of baptism? then? If this is what it signifies, who then should receive it? We look again at our confession for the Bible's teaching on this question, paragraph two, brother, if you would. Those who should receive it, Those who do actually profess repentance toward God, faith in and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ are the only proper subjects, proper meaning those who have been commanded to, proper subjects of this ordinance. Where does the confession receive this, the answer to this question from? From the Bible. From what the Bible teaches. When we consider the witness from the scriptures, we only see, that is, those who actually profess repentance toward God, faith in, and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, were the ones who were baptized. Let's look at some passages as we are traveling through our our time this morning. John chapter 4. We're going to look at a number of passages, okay? So John chapter 4. They will be brief, so turn there quickly if you can. John chapter four, it's going to be something that as you see it, you're going to say, what's the point, but hopefully you'll be able to catch it. Therefore, John four, verse one, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, listen, and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee. very subtle point that can easily be overlooked Jesus baptized more disciples and there's an order here there's there's an order of being baptized it is not the person who was baptized and then made a disciple the proper and necessary order of believing and the administration of the ordinance is believe and be baptized and follow Christ are you with me that's the chronological order believe Repent, believe. They are coupled together. Repent, believe. Be baptized. It's not be baptized and then later, hopefully, repent and believe. So that your baptism is significant. It is repent, believe, be baptized. That's the order. From the scriptures, consider the connection between the gospel preaching and baptism. There is an order also in chronology of placing belief in the gospel prior to the the obedience of the ordinance of baptism. Meaning this hear the message, repent and believe, then be baptized. That is all throughout the scriptures, the only order through which one is baptized. It's never reversed. It's never be baptized. Hear the gospel, repent and believe. You see that? Or hopefully one day repent and believe. John sixteen fifteen. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. See the order? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Next order, he who has believed. Next order, and has been baptized shall be saved. There's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 28, but Jesus is pr- placing a chronological order to, of instruction. There is proclamation of the gospel. Go preach, and the one who believes shall be baptized. Acts chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there real quick. <clears throat> Actually, you don't need to turn there. Just listen. Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit led the apostle Philip to Gaza, where there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading a passage from the book of Isaiah regarding the Son of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip was led there to give clarity to that man of, of what he was reading. The, the man was saying, what? Philip came up and said, do you understand what you're reading? The man said, how can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? And Philip begins to preach the gospel to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. During the conversation, Philip presumably spoke to the eunuch about his need to repent of his sins, be baptized, and then the eunuch comes to water. And the eunuch says, what what prevents me from being baptized? The gospel has been preached to him. Right? Philip says, uh, or, or he's asking in another way, how can I be a proper or lawful recipient of this ordinance of baptism? Philip's answer is this. Here's Philip's answer. If you believe with all your heart, you may. Philip answered to the eunuch, here's the prerequisite for baptism. Faith repentance and faith coupled together and what is the man's response i believe verse 37 i believe jesus christ is the son of god see this declaration for those of you who've been baptized by by me or pastors Zay, what do we usually ask you do you believe in god the father god the son god the holy spirit do you believe jesus christ is the son of god right we're asking you all these questions because they are the prerequisite before you are given this sign of baptism believe And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into water. Philip as well as the eunuch. And he baptized him. Do you see the order though? Here's the word. Explained. The gospel is preached. I repent. I believe. Let's be baptized. The eunuch professed faith. And as a result he was baptized. There is a connection with the work of the Holy Spirit. Working in the heart of the man. Cutting the heart of the man. Responding in belief. That's the order. Believe and be baptized. What about Acts chapter 2? Peter obeyed the command of Christ to declare the gospel to the nations. And on the day of Pentecost, before the nations, especially before a great Jewish crowd, which we'll get back to in a moment, Peter preaches the gospel. Peter preaches Christ, him crucified, him raised. Those in the crowd, especially the Jews, listen, they have a unique response to this gospel message. And here's the response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Other scriptures say they were pierced. Others say they were cut to the heart. After hearing the gospel, their heart was cut. What kind of cutting is that? It's a circumcision of the heart. The circumcision made without hands. It is the promise of the new covenant that God would circumcise their hearts. And that circumcision was no more. Through Christ, As it has always been, those who hear the gospel are cut to the heart and they believe. And what was Peter's response when they say, what must we do, Peter? What must we do? He says, repent. Each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is the command. Repent, believe and be baptized. Now, what blessing. Now, this is important. What blessing does one receive when they are baptized? Now, this is important for you to listen closely to. Is there any special blessing that one receives via baptism or because they are baptized? It depends on what we mean by blessing. The one baptized is not blessed with salvation because they are baptized. We do not believe like the Roman Catholic Church. That if one is baptized, they have received a sacrament that therefore infuses grace to the receiver that makes them now savable. Does that make sense? What they believe is you performed a good work and because you performed a good work, now you are savable because you have done one of the prerequisites that God has commanded you to do so that he might save you. That's salvation by works. We do not believe that baptism saves you, nor does it provide a a means through which you would now become savable. Also, the act of baptism does not set a person who has been baptized aside simply because they've been sprinkled, dipped or immersed in water. I know many of people and God forgive me that I have baptized that were not believers. And they believe that because they were baptized, they were now something special or that God had now uh, saved them because of that act. Not so. If a person does not have saving faith, the sign of baptism that is administered to that person, it means nothing. It means nothing. It's just a person getting wet. No blessings attached if you don't believe. Now, are there people who profess faith that are baptized but are not really believers? Yes. And that is just a matter of what life really is. That there are people who are false professors of faith. But it is for those who truly believe. It's, we don't take the argument and say. Well there are people who don't believe. And who are baptized anyways. Our hope is that those who are baptized. Are believers. Because that's why they are being baptized. For the one who receives. And re, or who has repented and, and believed. Baptism is a great blessing. Not because it saves you. Not because the water washes your sins away. And don't ever say that. Whenever you come out of the water, don't ever say, I feel like my sins have been washed away. That water didn't do that. Your sins have been wiped away because of the blood of Christ, not because of some dirty water that we put in a horse drop out there. The believer is acting in obedience and, and also following the pattern of Christ. Christ was baptized. He instituted and commanded baptism. And we identify ourselves with his life, death, and resurrection when we are baptized. Baptism is also a means of grace through which grace, the Lord communicates grace to his people. Meaning this, it is a means or avenue through which the believer is blessed by God with the visible word of the doing, dying, and rising of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see baptism, we are reminded of the finished and completed work of Christ. Now, you've just seen what it means what it signifies, who it belongs to, and what the blessings are. Compare that sign of baptism to the sign of circumcision. Listen, any similarities? Any? No. Why? Two different covenants. Two different signs into two different people. Does that make sense yes. baptism and circumcision we could have ended this uh, 40 minutes ago any relationship nope next question but we need to understand right now here's the last point it should be brief are there any explicit text explicit or implicit text that point to infant baptism any explicit meaning or, or even implicit explicitly saying something or implying something there have been a few paedobaptists that use obscure and unclear passages from the scripture in order to make a case for infant baptism such as acts 10 acts 16 first 1 corinthians chapter 1 as their proof text that's that's again acts 10 acts 16 first 1 corinthians chapter 1 as their proof text for infant baptism in those passages there is language used like this entire households being baptized or relatives close friends and all of his family those pale baptists uh, baby baptizers, and I say this with all due respect, they are our brothers in Christ, so just make sure i that's clear, but they assume that when these passages are read that that they this includes infants so seeing seeing a, an entire household being baptized they, there's babies there. How do we know there was babies there? There was probably babies there. most people had a baby. Is that a good argument it's not not at all, right? There are some who would agree that even those texts that I just mentioned are not really good support for infant baptism. They would, they would, they would be at least honest about that. But there is a text and there are a few, but let's go to one of them in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two and verse 11. Colossians two and verse 11. Please take uh, Pastor Zay's advice. Go back and listen to this. Hey, if you can slow down the speed, that would be helpful for you. I'm sure it's always helpful for me. Uh, Colossians chapter two and verse eleven let's start there. and in him, you or we? in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. listen to how how this next verse goes, having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God, working of God, who raised him from the dead. If you see these two verses, we see two things that we've talked about this entire time in close proximity to one another. What are those two things? Circumcision and baptism. So because they are in close proximity to one another, some will assume, therefore, they are related But if you look closely, you will see that these two terms are being used in two different ways. Verse 11, we are told about a circumcision. We are told that there is a circumcision that is made without hands. So right from the beginning, we are not talking about physical circumcision, right? We're talking about a completely different circumcision than that which was done in the Old Testament. And that should make us hesitant to make a connection between physical uh, baptism and circumcision. Because physical baptism... Is not what is in view here. There is a circumcision made without hands. When or how does this circumcision occur? Verse 12. Let's look at it again. <clears throat> Having been buried. With him in baptism. In which you also were raised up. With him through faith. In the working of God. Who raised him from the dead. Well, what is this circumcision? It is the putting off of the body. Now. Think about this, this, this connection. In circumcision, physical, there is a putting off of the body. There is a cutting. But this circumcision that Paul is, is, is trying to relate it to is a different putting off of the body. It's a circumcision made without hands that takes place in the circumcision of Christ. What does that mean? The phrase circumcision of Christ. Does it refer to Christ when he himself was circumcised as a little one? When he was a baby? No. That's not what's in view here. And the Lord, and the, the next words help us to understand it's the putting off of the body of flesh. What is that? It is the circum. it is the crucifixion of Christ. The circumcision of the flesh of Christ, it's His crucifixion. Where His body was put off. The circumcision made without hands is, is a metaphorical way of speaking of Christ's death on the cross. That's what's in view here. Uh, What about baptism in verse 12? It links uh, our baptism with the burial of Christ. The, The no hand circumcision is connected to the death of Christ, but baptism is connected to the burial of Christ. Are you seeing that? It's not linking circumcision to baptism in a covenantal way. It's saying Christ, his body has been cut. Christ Has been buried. That is baptism. They're not even pointing to the same things. They're referring to the things. That have different objects. And they're pointing toward different things as well. So we can't use this passage to. To equate them. To say circumcision and baptism are the same thing. I hope that makes sense. Faithful uh, paedo-baptists cannot use this verse. To argue for their infant baptism. They still may believe that baptism is circumcision. of Of the New Testament. But they can't use this text. Jesus tells us, or Colossians 2.11 tells us that Jesus was uh, circumcised in the fullest possible way. He was entirely cut off. He received every curse of the covenant so that we would not have to. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ bearing all of our curses that we who were uncircumcised in the heart, we never deserved. And He did this by shedding His blood on the cross. <clears throat> he allowed himself to be cut off he took again the curse of the covenant this is how we've received circumcision of the heart through christ in his work christ redeemed us by becoming a curse by by being cut off now in closing there are two other passages that someone will say well what about acts 239 and and, and acts 325 very quickly acts 239 they say the promise is to you and your children Remember that Peter, after he preaches this gospel message and the people are cut to the heart, what does he say? The promise is to you and your children. Now, what does a paido Baptist do? He says he's speaking about Abraham, about Abraham's promise to say, this is for you and your children. Not necessarily. Why? Think about this. Who is Peter speaking to when he says to you and your children? He's speaking to a group of people, but primarily he's speaking to a group of people that were primarily Jewish. What does that have to do with anything? There's a connection here. The apostle Peter is accusing them, the hearers of his gospel message of putting Christ to death. Remember that? He says, you put him to death. Here's what else he says. You chose Barabbas, a murderer. Over the son of God, over the Messiah. Remember that? Okay, now stick with me. What did Pilate do when Pilate says, I don't want to crucify this man. He's done nothing wrong. What do the people say? Crucify him, crucify him. And, the, and Pilate says, what wrong has he done? Crucify him. What does Pilate eventually do? pulls out some water in front of everybody i'm washing my hands of this this man's blood will not be on my head what do they say let his blood be on us and our children they 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 call a curse on themselves and they call a curse on their children not long after this peter's preaching to those same people and he says to them you killed jesus but there is an offer of life to you and your children if you believe because God was saying that curse that you called upon yourself is reversed by Christ. If you believe. This is not to say to Abraham and your children, if you wanted to connect it to it, to it, though, you still would have to say the children of Abraham are those who believe in Christ not to those who are baptized just because I believe I'm gonna give my, my, my child this sign. It is to those who believe. Peter was saying today if you believe that curse that you called upon yourself can be reversed if you believe in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's why it's so important for you brothers and sisters to read your Bible. Amen. To read your Bible thoroughly. Yeah. To read your Bible thoroughly. They were cut to the heart. What should we do? believe, repent, believe, be baptized. And if you do, it's for you and your children. And that's not to say that now your children are going to be saved. That is to say, if they believe, they can be saved. And if their children believe, they can be saved. Because salvation is and always has been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commands. That's why we're talking about this. I hope you see the difference. Don't walk away and say, it's not a big deal. Does it really matter? What a person is really saying, we can do whatever we want. We can worship him however we want. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Not do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Worship however you want. This is important because this is what God has commanded. And I hope you see the distinction. And I hope that now you can defend your stance that only believers should be baptized. Because it's the way God has commanded and we want to follow God's commands. We don't want to offer him something that he has not commanded. There's so much more to be said. Remember last week I said I'm going to make a part two of this because I was going to add this what I did this week to last week. There's so much to be said. And there's plenty of arguments that can, could come back our way. But I think that the, the relative or the clear uh, evidence from scripture is that we must believe. Repent and believe be baptized according to the to the commands of God. Let's pray.